Welcome to another episode of 115 Miles. Hass, take it away. What do you think of the episode today? You hit me up with some facts again, Josh. Uh, some questions. I, I love the way you start the, uh, the episode. And then I found it a really powerful um, check-in today. Um, really enjoyed just talking to you about, you know, what's been going on in the last few weeks. Um, and then that conversation around feedback was... Really I was tough. so good, man. I had no idea that you were going to have such a good story uh, about about feedback. And actually, it, it created a really, really good conversation. Uh, we also talked about um, depression not being a chemical imbalance, as according to the latest uh, media outlets that was released uh, very recently. And we had a really good uh, conversation around that before the reasons to be cheerful. Has, where can people find us? Come find us at 115 Miles Pod on Insta. We are growing massively. Make sure you're following us. Uh, leave us a review if that's what you do. And we'll see you all very soon. This is 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Kaya. Growing up 115 miles apart, our lives couldn't have been more different, but we find ourselves today with many similarities and outlooks upon life. Join us on our podcast as we take a topical dive into life, work, culture, and everything in between. Has I'm starting with a question today. By the way, for the listeners, it's not it's twenty to nine a.m. today, so there's a different um, energy. You feeling a, like a, yeah. a very morning based energy, a morning based energy. Yeah, very like uh, uh, like we're having like we've both just got out of bed and come downstairs and we're in the kitchen. Having we're not a chat. used to like like having to show up on a Monday morning. You know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> On time, cleanly. We shaven. get we get more like uh, arrogant with our middle classness. Like the first conversation we had when we when we got together this morning was like, I will never work for anyone that makes me come to work on a Monday morning. Is that middle classness or is that like just um, a privilege? Is that what you mean? Uh, no, it's not privilege either, is it? Because we I, I don't know. We've worked hard to get where we are, haven't we? Yeah. Just it's just arrogance. Are you can ask me a question or what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know why we say raise a toast? Oh, raise a toast. I don't actually. I can't say I've really thought about it. Do you want to have a guess? Do you want to try and raise a toast? Well, I'd say it's something to do with Toastmasters. Like toasting is holding master of ceremony, like being the front of the court, something to do with that. It's nothing to do with toast, I don't think. I don't know what the fuck you just said. Surely you've just elaborated on toasting. If well, somebody's a toaster, it's because they do the toasting at an event. Yeah. So that doesn't fucking answer the question, does it? Well, I'm... It I'm, just I'm, shifts the label to somewhere else. I'm trying to expand on this and do, like, uh, you know, non-linear thinking. And uh, so... No, well, I'm going to tell I you. I haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue, John. You said it's nothing to do with toast? Nothing to do with the eating toast. ancient Romans used to drop a piece of toast into their wine for good health. You're kidding me. And that is why we raise a toast. <laughs> this is podcast I can't see uh, that. oh yeah sorry <laughs> I just raised a toast of my black coffee for Josh if the Spice Girls weren't called the um, Spice Girls oh fucking hell there's another good fact here so today last time I prepared some facts I picked them out yep. today I've just got I am on 
Cosmopolitan.com. Shout out Cosmopolitan.com. And I'm just randomly picking out uh, facts here. And I've just seen a very good one. But I'm going to go with what I was saying. If the Spice Girls weren't called the Spice Girls, what do you think they would have been called? Uh, oh, come on. You've got to give me a clue because it could be anything. Just give me a little No, clue. I'm not giving you... No, it could be anything. That's the point. Rum babies. <laughs> what? <laughs> Where have you got rum you babies know? from? Spiced rum. Girls, babies. Oh, rum babies. That's pretty good, isn't it? See, that you've got to give me a bit of a clue. Well, that's why I didn't want to give you a clue. All right, rum so babies. you would come up with something like rum babies. We should have some rum babies, Josh. No, they, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've already got a couple. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, they were originally going to be called Touch. Really? Yeah. I so. think Spice Girls is better. So do I. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mal C said that she felt it was pretty bland. Touch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here's a fact for you. Yeah. Links into a conversation we've had in the past before. Okay. <laughs> uh, ready. People are more creative in the shower. Yes. <laughs> but you don't shower, do you? I've listened. <laughs> I think that's one of a... That's... I don't shower. Hang on, hang on. Yeah, no. no you... you can't drop that. I don't do one of your mindful showers. I think... After I've had a full day. One of, of the best lines on 115 miles in the over two years that we've been going. Oh, hang on, let me guess. It's going to be one of yours, yeah? No, it's oh, you. Oh, thank it's you. It's you listening to me and then going, Josh, I hear you and I hear all of that. And I'm saying I'm going to do it, but I'm not. <laughs> About a mindful shower. Uh, so apparently, when you take a warm shower, we experience an increased dopamine flow that makes us more creative. What, in the shower or coming out of the shower? Um, not sure, but probably in the shower, yeah? That's why you have some well, of your no, best ideas happens, coming happens. in the shower. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mi all I I missed <laughs> I missed what you said at the beginning and all I <laughs> heard was coming in the shower. All right, all right. <laughs> Monday oh, morning. God, this Humor. this is uh, this is. Hope it goes uphill after this, Josh. This is taking a nosedive. Uh, I'm going to do one more. All right. Um. But I I need to find it first. The probability of a blue lobster existing is widely touted as being. One in two million. Okay. You're just reading anything you can see now. Bright blue lobsters are so coloured because of a genetic abnormality that causes them to produce more of a certain protein than others. One in two million. I don't know what to say to that. Why are you bringing lobsters in? Don't know. Don't know. Do you, do you like a lobster roll? A lobster roll? Yeah, just... No, I'd have it. I'd have it on sourdough. I was gonna... <laughs> lobster on sourdough, is it? Yeah. Is a lobster roll something? Is that it's, like? Yeah, it's known. Oh, I'm not as middle, cultured people. I'm not as middle class. You go to you. Maine, have a lobster roll. Um, uh, no, I'm more of a sausage roll type. <laughs> <laughs> <Riggs>. <laughs> yeah, 
You're so Greg's. Uh, anyway, so uh, listen, I like checking in with facts like that at yeah, the start of the good. podcast. Yeah, like it's it. nice when you it's put a bit brings of levity. When you put a bit of effort into the podcast. Yeah, mm, you did definitely. You need to stop drinking your coffee for comedic effect on a podcast. When people <laughs> see it, uh, Has next, I want to ask you how you're doing, and you're not allowed to say. Um, yeah, fine. Yeah, who used to call it? Who called us out because we used to do that? I can't remember who it was actually. But we used to start off every pop up, pop 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 podcast by saying, "Yeah, I'm fine." Oh, it was off. It was my mate Noah. In Noah, Portland. how is Noah? Yeah, I haven't spoken to him for a while. No, not fine. That I must ca catch up with him. If yeah. you're listening, Noah, drop us a note. We should drop him a note, really. No, that's just reminding me. I'm going to talk to Noah. Yeah, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to drop him a note today. Uh, how are you, Hass? Yeah, I'm fine, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel really good, actually. I okay. feel really good. And and, and I just, uh, the reason I, w I, I want to say I feel really good is because the last time I recorded, I didn't feel really good. Yeah. And actually, I, I sort of struggled through that podcast. Yeah. I really, I struggled through that conversation. And I just thought, well, I've, I've got to show up. And I did, but I wasn't my best self. Now, I felt it, but I was probably in my head a lot more uh, than, than I normally would be. And I just, I realized that I hadn't quite fully processed all the stuff, the uh, the big stuff I was trying to process yeah. previously. So I just kind of walked into the conversation. Despite me sort of telling everyone, which is my um, my usual kind of approach, that I'm all right, I'm doing fine. Yeah. But actually, I wasn't, I was quite struggling a lot. Um, in that in in that in that conversation, did you do a lot of showing up uh, in different? You know, like you just showed up for the podcast. You got to get through it. Did you do a lot of that when it was happening? Yes, yeah, I think so. I think I just I I don't even know. I I do it intention like intentionally. It just sort of happens, and I feel like certain people. I feel like I need to do that. You know, like yeah. not because of them, because of what I tell myself. I have to be for them. Does that yeah. make sense? It does. Nothing they say to me. Do you think it was the wrong thing to do? Now, that's not a trick question. I'm asking you this f for a reason. Uh, what, the podcast or just, just in general? Up? In general, keep showing up in that way. Do I think it's the wrong thing to do? Uh, I think it depends, actually. On what? Uh, I think it depends on the situation. So for my situation, I think it probably... Um, it was probably wrong, actually, because I think if I'm, if I, you know, if I'm not going to be open about it in a conversation with you, then I don't know where really, where else I can be open about it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and actually it was in subsequent conversations or even some of the thinking that came in before we had the podcast that probably helped me w work my way through it. But, um, as an advocate for talking and, uh, you know, understanding the value of it and wanting to help others understand the value of talking, particularly between men. I probably should have used that space, but it's really difficult. It's much easier to observe the theory of why something might be right versus what's going on for you internally. Yeah, yeah right? but the, and the reason I ask you is because we have a tendency to polarize stuff, right? So we 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 like say you should talk about it, and if you're struggling, you should let people know. And I have probably said that you should do that in the past, right? And I probably have promoted it and, and, and talked about it. But like the more that I look at it and the more that I look at myself when I'm struggling, like I do think to some degree 
that per that period, there is a period that I go through that actually might be quite natural and almost needed where I wing it and I do say I'm all right. And the act of showing up and doing the podcast or showing up and doing something actually gets me through part of it where it, where it might have been unmanageable and to talk about it might have felt too heavy. Yeah. And so I think sometimes we make that part last way too long, you know, and we should have talked about it ages ago or opened up about it or shared about it or did what we needed to do ages ago. But I, I do feel like to some degree, it's not necessarily always wrong to blindly keep going. No, but, and I'm I'm talking, like, that's why I said to you, it depends on the mm. situation, didn't I? Like, and I think I've spent my whole life doing it, right? So I know that's a thing I can do and I'll be fine. Yeah. What I'm trying to lean into in my life at the moment is growth mindset versus fixed mindset. The way right. I've always done things carried me through and I've been fine. Yeah. Genuinely, I feel like most of the time I'm fine and I can weather the big challenges that come uh, and I face. It's the growth mindset. So it's the, it's the it's knowing that there's something that I needed to explore. And rather than going into that, retreating to that sort of comfort zone, it's like moving out of that comfort zone and into that fear zone of uh, uh, what am I trying to say here? Do I want to do I want to explore this with Josh on the podcast now? Mm. No, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to get through it, knowing that my energy's not brilliant. And I, I left that podcast feeling, oh, that was a pretty bad podcast. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it was. I'm, I'm glad I've sort of explored what I need to explore. Because you asked me how I'm today, and I feel really good, strong, mo energized, motivated, because I, I think I haven't tried to avoid... The, the awkward feelings in the last sort of 14 days. I've really just gone through them. Some have taken a bit longer and like in terms of processing, but others have just been able to move forward. So I feel really good about, you know, um, you know, uh, what I had to kind of explore over the last, you know, few weeks. And yeah. Yeah, lots of energy. And like to give a little bit of context, it just means like a massive shift in what you were doing. You were one direction with your business. Uh, with Harry and Leah, but, <laughs> and they just dropped me. <laughs> One um, Direction got rid of you, said you can't sing and you're shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think- but you, were One Direc you were One Direction with the business, right? And then uh, for reasons outside of your power, there's had to be a massive shift. So yeah, no, I think it's important to just say that that's, yeah, that's exactly what's, uh, what I've been going through over the last few weeks. And I feel quite excited about what's next. Yeah. How about you? How are you doing? How are you doing? <laughs> all right, Joey. How are you doing? <laughs> um, I'm all right, mate. I'm all like, I was just talking to you. Uh, had It was my birthday on Saturday. So, Happy birthday. Uh, thank you. And it's Monday now, so two days ago. Um, and I've got a blended family, right? So I've got kids with my wife who I'm with now and kids from a previous relationship. And... It's something that you don't see talked about a lot, right? At all, like the difficulties and the, the tricky stuff that comes of it. Like everything, I think you only see uh, like the most amazing versions of a blended family, like on social media, do you know what I mean? So you'll get like the step parent who's just amazing and love their kids like, you know, like they all love them all the same and all of that. 
Um, but I actually think blended families in a lot of cases are a little bit more complex than that. Do you know what I mean? And there's lots of like l subtle little struggles that you'll see arise, particularly if you've changed as drastically as I am, as I have, then the person that you're trying to parent with from the previous relationship sees things such a world like different to you. Mm. Now you could argue about whether who's right or wrong in that context for the for the for the point of what I'm saying here is a little bit irrelevant, I guess. But um, it just can. Can you hear that siren? I wonder. That was a bit off-putting. Uh, it can. Does that always give you like a pang of fear, like from it, your youth? Does it, it used to, mate. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, until I was about a year sober. I probably stopped worrying about them. And by the way, I never really needed to worry about them in the way that I did. I just lived in paranoia. Um, I just think of the Dizzy Rascal track, Sirens, just now. That's just thought I'd say that. Is that what came in your? Yeah. I was. I was obviously fucking riveting in what I was saying then. No, I, I was. <laughs> <laughs> it was a siren that broke me, but yeah, bring me back. Um, so yeah, just with the blended families, with that can sometimes comes a lots of like complexities that you can feel like um, when you're in them, it can sometimes feel like you're the only person in them. Yeah. Um, I think when you take a step back, you sort of realise actually, no, this is the crack. But um, so yeah, that's, that's weighed heavy on my mind, particularly when... Um, the children that don't live with me on the weekends when they come, um, the family dynamic can feel quite dysregulated. Now, sometimes that can regulate, can go from being dysregulated to, to, to regulate it pretty quickly. And you'll have like a brief period where there's a little bit of a, like a tricky changeover. But then some weekends that, that dysregulation can last right up until, um, you know, the whole weekend if you're not careful yeah and what's and there's sort of residue afterwards as well right like yeah 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 and what becomes hard is you you become part of the problem because you dysregulate as well when i say dysregulate i mean like uh like uh, unregulated emotionally unregulated right so i don't approach life in the way that uh i would normally balanced and calm and then you know, sometimes the the kids might be moving towards regulation, but I've become so dysregulated myself yeah. or deregulated myself that I end there. So then I pull them back into it. So, yeah, it can become tricky. And I had a tricky weekend as a result of it, especially because I'm such an emotional, you know, person. Yeah. I don't experience things in it in apps, but... Also, there's been zero processing time, right? Because we're recording this on a Monday, which is unusual for us. We normally, like, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, what I would say is that we had a really nice night last night. So we had, like, a movie night and stuff like that. What'd you watch? Um, oh, no. Raya. Raya. The dragon one, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Like with every film, I heard Maya, my six-year-old daughter, say uh, about five minutes in, Dad's asleep already. I'm like, ah, eyes open. <laughs> no, I'm not. Busted. No, I'm not. No, I'm yeah. not. Um, but yeah, I got popcorn and did all that. So that was nice. Nice. Um, and then from like a like a business perspective, where I am with the work and stuff that I do, I feel really um, energized. That's one of your favorite words, energized, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So I feel very energized. I've launched in a. So here's one for you. I've launched in a you plug plug coming. I've launched in. <laughs> there we go. Do you want a drum roll? I've launched Inner U4. Um, 99 pounds. <laughs> which is 99 pounds, and you can sign up online now. Um, but incredibly, that will start 
one year to the well to one day so it starts on the, the equivalent monday so it starts on monday the 5th or monday the 6th and last year it was monday the 5th or 6th yeah so you know it shifted wow. so it started one year one year before i did the first one i'm doing number number four, four. that's incredible that's mental isn't it yeah that is mental what's um, different is you've had four sets of people that have been really impacted by the program right mm. so like it was an idea you had a sense that it could it could be really powerful yeah and you know four in and you know you just you see some of the feedback it's incredible yeah and I was, there was 50 on the first one yeah and then uh there was just there was 197 on the last one so and then i think this one's like five weeks away or something and there's, i've had sort of nearly 30 people sign up already so brilliant, brilliant. uh yeah, mate. It's so good. should we make this whole podcast about your business or? Yes, we should. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, tell me about inner you, Hatton, and your experience of it. Uh, no, good. Good. But that's where I'm at, mate. Um, and I, I, like I feel a lot of people that uh, listen to this and talk to me about listening to it have said that the check-in has become the best part of the podcast oh. at the beginning. I don't think I did the check-in last week. I think it might have been helpful to have done it based on what I've just said about how I was feeling. Yeah, I think. Maybe I consciously avoided it. Maybe. Uh, yeah, you probably did, didn't yeah. you? As you've just said, you were consciously avoiding. Maybe. Um, the crack. Do you know what I'm not avoiding anymore? It's your gaze. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah we're, I'm less, we're, uncom I'm less uncomfortable with it now. Less uncomfortable, yeah. Yeah. That's because I'm... Where are we going next, Josh? My eyes are hollow. <laughs> um, I'm an going. Empty shell. So recently, <laughs> I, I got um, some a little bit of negative feedback from from some an organization that I was expecting some really really good feedback from okay um and I think it wobbled me a little bit so the, the, uh, was this the first time that I've ever had negative feedback well, since you've sort of been doing this since you've been growing your profile and doing this work um no but I will go on to explain in a bit uh why why it was, yeah, okay. the impact of it. But what are you like with feedback? Have you ever had any negative feedback? Uh, is the first I'm question. I'm perfect, Josh. I no, I haven't really. You've never had any negative no, feedback? No, of course I have. Um, yeah. Um, what am I like with feedback? I think, I, I hope to think I'm generally pretty good with it. Um, uh, I'm quite, I can be quite alpha in my sort of leadership style sometimes. So like, I, I like making decisions. I don't, often like being challenged, even though I probably pretend I do. Um, but I've, yeah, I've had, I've had bad feedback, critical feedback. I've had uh, feedback that's just stopped me in my tracks. Um, yeah. And what are you, how do you deal with it? When you say you're alpha with it, what do you mean? No, no, I, 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 when I say I'm alpha with um, my leadership, when I've sort of, when I want to go in a direction and I have, um, uh, and I don't really want to be challenged. My ideas. I'm probably not the best to get feedback. Right. Because I'm. Because obviously I run the company now, as opposed to being, you know, a member of the team. Yeah. So feedback is kind of it's coming upwards, right? You know, like if I say I, I want to go in this direction, and somebody says actually I don't think that's the right direction, I've got to take that as feedback, and I've got to be generous with it. But it, previously in my career, um, there's been a few moments that were that really stood out where the feedback was. Just, I think it had a really powerful effect 
on me. What? Uh, explain. Tell me. To elaborate. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the most life-changing forms of feedback was the probably the worst mo like feedback moment I've ever had in my life. Oh, this is good. This is unplanned gold. Um, Come on, tell me about it. Uh, so I used to work in retail and uh, I took it really seriously. I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, used to run a fairly big department quite young. So I was about 19 years old. The department was probably turning over about 14 million. It was a, it was a, you know, it was a, it was quite a big, famous store uh, of a big chain. And what we used to have to do was we'd do like our shift during the day, and then every month we would have like a new campaign. And there was like, you know, um, uh, we would have to do like an overnight shift. So I'd be managing probably about a t team of about. 20 on the overnight shift and you had to basically by the time you opened you had to have transformed so you'd bring in all the new stock from the warehouse you'd have to re-stick I mean it's a big 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 job big operation and you don't stop you have a few breaks but like you just don't stop you know so that's like you go so I will have done probably like a 24-hour shift and this is quite a very big store at like in Tottenham Port Road so it's huge um, and uh, uh, I uh, I'd done, an, the, I'd done the shift, I'd done the overnight shift and like we're sort of wrapping things up at around 7, 7.30. And my, uh, my boss, there was a guy called Mark who had been brought in from another store. Clearly, um, there, was, uh, there was an agenda that they wanted to kind of get rid of us to kind of bring in different people. Um, so uh, like he, he, from the moment he joined, he'd been there for probably about, you know, I'd, I'd say about six months. He was just on my case the whole time. There's nothing mm. you could do mm. um, that was right. And in a way, like I, I think maybe like I was trying to give him benefit of the doubt that like he's trying to make me better or whatever. But there was like, um, so I just finished up this night shift, uh, 7.30. I was feeling exhausted, but proud at that fact that we'd done it, right? And he comes in and we have to do a floor walk and tell him what you've done. And he starts ripping into me because the, stickers aren't like perfectly horizontal there was some of them were slightly angled yeah, yeah. and just like I, I was exhausted right and he'd had a nice nice sleep and a breakfast or whatever and he came in and just starts tearing me to pieces like um what have you done this for why haven't you done that look there's a bit of tape on the floor you know just like really stupid mm. things and then um in this store we used to be on the first floor and um there used to be a little holding room for if people got caught shoplifting were no cameras in there like it was like that, that really? but yeah, yeah security guards used to take people in there and hold them until like the police would come or whatever and that was on that was just like on before we went into like b like behind in the south areas it was on the on on the left hand side and he took me he like he said right follow me and then i was like okay and he followed me took me in the room and then he basically said to me what are you good for because i i can't see you're good for anything what are you good for and i in that moment, I had nothing left. I yeah. had nothing left and I just broke down. And, and I, you know me, like I, I don't cry. So it was like, it was uh, a, like, it was, I just had nothing left. And I just, I said, I don't know. I don't know what I'm good for. Fuck. Yeah. And um, I don't know. And, uh, and that was, um, uh, yeah, it was just a, such a moment where, you know, the feedback from somebody that even though I wasn't getting on with him, it's your boss, right? And you've mm. just worked really hard and he just took me apart. And I, and I see subsequently, you know, that he was on a mission just to basically get rid of me so they could just bring in new managers. And ultimately, um, 
you know, that was the moment I went, right, I'm not, I'm not staying here. Like, I'm, like no job, especially this one, is worth this. So I moved to a, a different job, a different store. Same company. Same company, rebuilt myself, rebuilt my confidence, then went into HR, studied, did my own thing. This was, this, you know, this was a course of about a year and a half, maybe two years. Went to head office, then was more senior than the guy when I left. <laughs> Um, who was still in head office. Um, but it was because of him that I moved into human resources because I thought I don't want people like that, you know, to be able to get away with it. Uh, so did, it transformed my life. That moment, you know, that was the moment. That's meant, I've never yeah. heard that story before. No, I know. I don't I'm, talk about it very often. It was a dark moment, actually. Did you, did you, um, I've, there's a few things I want to ask you. Did you ever get a moment with him when you were above him? Uh, yeah, I mean, once I got to head office, I was, you know, I was, not only was I, um, you know, in a different position, uh, I wouldn't say more senior, because actually he was kind of still probably, from a level perspective, he might have been more senior, but I was in a more meaningful role. I was getting you know, lauded around the company, and there was um, a moment just before I was leaving, and I was I had to deal with him, because I, I, at head office, I had to deal with stores, and he said... I'm really proud of, you know, what you've achieved, he said to me. Um, and uh, uh, and he said something like, um, I could always see your potential. Did he? Yeah. What did you say to that? Nothing, uh, I suppose. I couldn't, like, I couldn't. Because I couldn't, what I wanted to say was, fuck you, yeah, arsehole. But I couldn't, like, yeah. But I think for me, just n knowing that that was a very, very different side that was enough for me. Um, and, and then just as I left the company, uh, they used to have this store managers conference, all the store managers, I don't know, something like four or 500 store managers. And uh, the store managers, it's a bit like, you know when the, uh, the players football of the year, they, yeah. they, sort of, they got to give who they say is the best person at head office. So he would have been there and I got, I didn't go to the conference because I was already leaving. But I, it, I was, out of the whole company, I was told that I was the head office employee that got, got called out as the, being the most, uh, you know. What's this fucking dude's player. name? I told you his name is Mark. I'm not telling his, I'm, <laughs> I'm not out on him. <laughs> yeah. Is he on LinkedIn? Nah, nah. So you've so. looked? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't think so. Are these stores, do they still exist? No, they don't. Because I would have gone to Tottenham Court Road and see if there's some old yeah. boy in there. Yeah. Wait, did you did you leave there to go to another company or did you leave to do what you do now? I went to another company. Yeah, I've had loads of jobs since then. So when I left uh, that company, um, <laughs> it's not hard to just look me up on LinkedIn, you'll figure it out. Uh, oh yeah, when I left that company, I actually went to All Saints uh, and... That's another story for another day. But yeah, like I, um, I did that for a very short period of time, realized it wasn't for me, didn't like the environment. One of my big philosophies in life is you tr trust your intuition. Yeah. Like it's really led me. And my intuition was this isn't, this, we're not the same. We're not, we're not good for each other. And then I, the, literally like 10 minutes after I left that job, I got a call um, to move into like take my first role in advertising. And that's and that was the minute I really flew, really. So that's yeah, that was. So it all really had. You could stem back to that moment where 
I'd done the overnight shift and that arsehole basically. Do you embody that sometimes? Do you like call on that like um, to be, to drive you forward ever anymore? I mean, I think my whole philosophy on leadership, how I've tried to nurture other people, nurture teams, how I've tried to grow myself, how I try and be in the world stems from just wanting to be a strong leader. I always just wanted to be a good, consistent, fair leader. And that's where it started from. Is there any argument to say that he did the right thing? Um, no. All right. No. Because... Uh, look, I, I I know what you're where you're gonna go. Like sometimes you've got to like be tough to get kind of put people through yeah. those moments. I, I could take the tough. I could take the tough feedback. I could take the tough feedback, and I was. It was pretty consistent. But when somebody has done probably more than a 24-hour shift, they're kind of physically broken. They're tired. As a leader, you need to know what do I need to be directive or do I need to be coaching here? Yeah. And he needed to be coaching because he would have got so much more. Do you know what? He lost one of the best employees he could have had as a result of that. Yeah. So he, he, he was a fucking tool. Yeah. Well said. What drugs were you using to do 24 hour shift? <laughs> Uh, we were using, what's it, what was it, Pro Plus? Did you? You used to pop yeah. a load of Pro Plus? You had to, yeah. Really? But also, Honestly, it wasn't really about that. It was about the ca the camaraderie you would have, the music. You'd have to listen to like all sorts of music. Yeah. Like everyone would get a choice. And honestly, I was I've always been really driven by like the um, the pressure to deliver. Like we had to open. Yeah. You couldn't have like pallets all over the place. You couldn't have a mess. I was I was like driven. And the thing that people always used to say about me on those moments was. I lead by example. So I'd be pulling pallet trucks down, I'd be putting stock out, I'd be re-stickering, but trying to do it in my way, just keeping people going. That's, it's mad because we're very similar in, I come from where I used to work and I worked on the dispatch department, right? right. And that was sometimes like, you got two lorries or, you know, you might have two, three, four, five lorries going out at night. Yeah. And then because I worked in dispatch, you had to get it like, uh, there was like a final coat of polish you had to put on it and then like wrap it up, get it all protected and get it secure on the lorry. Yeah. And you were driven by when they got it to you. So if yeah. the makers got it to you late, yeah. sometimes you'd have two hours and you'd just get flooded with like yeah. 20, 30, 40 people and you've got to get it done in two hours. Yeah. And I used, to, I used to get quite angry with it. But when I look back on it, I used to fuck really thrive on that like, I'll get it done. I think there's definitely something from those early retail days that's just fed the way that I kind of approach my work. Like, like it's very rare that I will look at a deadline and 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 like a meaningful deadline, right? So, like, if you you know, for some, of course, I yeah. have a deadline slip, right? But like, you know, when you're sort of when trying to drive for a project or you've got to do something for a client or you've got to do something like that, it's always like you know, it it it, it motivates me. I get energy from it. Yeah. So just to bring it back to that piece of feedback, it did, it's driven you, right? Yeah. It has driven you a lot in your career. Is there any other, any other negative feedback that you can think of? Um, or is that the, the main one? That's, that I mean, that's the main one. Um, also, I just, you know, like really positive feedback can just have this incredible um, motivating kind of yeah. uh, thing as well. And I don't, I mean, maybe we stick to the to kind of the, the critical one, but you know, there've definitely been uh, moments and I don't mean like, you know, big ones. It's just when someone acknowledges you and you, you're not expecting it. That's the ones I've always preferred. I don't need a big shout out. 
in front of a crowd. In fact, I hate that. Um, yeah. But a little like, uh, you're working hard and you know you are, but somebody just goes, do you know what? That was a nice piece of work or that was great, you know? And that thing, that's, that, that says everything. So once I used to, you know, I'd spent my whole sort of um, leadership career as, as an HR director, as you know, right? And um, that role is always a, a sort of like a sideline supporter role, but in many of the businesses or in many organizations, it's seen as a sort of an admin function role, not like a business partnering role, like finance or strategy or something like that. And a CEO I was working with, he, he said something to me once, which is, oh, you're, you're just a, a business person first and you do it and, you, and HR is the lens by which you bring it. And I'd worked my whole career to be recognized as somebody that like can drive business. So that was just a tiny, tiny bit of feedback where somebody truly saw me. Yeah. And I thought that's just like, that was, that was a huge moment, you know. And uh, it's, Is that it's, person on LinkedIn? That person is on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, go find him. Yeah. I can go find that yeah. person, yeah. yeah. You're quite good at giving feedback as well, aren't you? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Particularly negative feedback. Yeah, you yeah, you get it all the time, don't uh, yeah, you? Yeah, I know, yeah, but you're very good at giving it to me. I remember when I first met you and I was like trying to build stuff and I remember I would come with something and be like, I'm fucking, I've done this. I reckon I've nailed it and I'd send it to you and you'd come back with feedback. But I proper, it used to, do you remember? I used to say, I used to buzz off it mm. and be like, wow, mm. he's fucking said that I ain't good mm. enough now. Mm. I'll go away and come back with something even better. Yeah, I think um, you've got to find the right balance between keeping somebody motivated um, and uh, and kind of giving the truth. And I think if, if I think the truth is more important than keeping someone motivated because it's up to the individual to motivate themselves, right? Or, or and you do it in a particular way. So I, I give a lot of help on sort of CVs and stuff like that, like to friends. And I always say to them, listen, I'm probably, this is probably gonna, some of this is gonna be brutal, but I'd rather it be brutal and we, we deal with the things that need to be dealt with rather than me make you feel nice about it. You're like Simon Cowell, aren't you? Yeah, I am like Simon Cowell. <laughs> Where's my buzzer? I can't believe you just took that. It's just like, yes, I fucking am. Who am I then? Louis Walsh. You're Alicia Dixon. <laughs> no, you're not any of those. So the feedback, by the way, that I got that made me bring up this conversation. Yeah. It's quite a big organisation that... Uh, are they on LinkedIn? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they are, yeah. yeah. Name uh, them. <laughs> and I was going to do quite, like, it sounded like, anyway, I was going to do quite a bit of work with them. And then we wanted to run a, they wanted to run a pilot. So they ran a pilot with some of the leadership team. Um, and so I did a 90 minute webinar for them. And uh, when I was doing it, they, a lot of them had their cameras on, which is not, it doesn't always happen when I'm with the stuff I'm, and I let people take the cameras off because my work's quite emotive. Uh, and I must have read the room real wrong because I stuck around. Like, so when I do a 90 minute webinar, there's normally like 10 minutes at the beginning. I do like my story bit and that makes up part of the webinar. So it's in there for like a reason. Um, but they were, they seemed to really be nodding and there was lots of people like, you could, and I read the room, although it was online, the Zoom room, they're loving this. So I, I stayed there a bit and was exploring stuff and people were like interacting with me in the chat. And so then I was like going off on a few tangents and stuff. Um, and then the feedback that I got was basically, uh, 
they wanted some more ideas of how they could implement the idea of resilience into the business okay. and felt that you stuck on your story too much, right? And that, Or they felt that the bit about your story was too big. And, and I haven't heard from them since. So they're obviously as a pilot, right? It's not, it's not. But I went, I remember like when I read it, I remember telling, I told Leah, my wife that day, and she was like, oh, that's brought you, she went, that's brought you down, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I've been trying that for, for years. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't have, like I normally handle negative feedback really well. Like as, as in like a bit like what you've talked about, but on even on micro levels, when I look at it from a football perspective, um, you know, if I get dropped, I'm I like I'm the best footballer going for the next few weeks, yeah, because I'm like it'll never happen to me. And I guess probably in the end, I that's where I have come with this. But originally, I was a bit like, oh, fucking like, I was straight went straight away like, oh, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. What like, do you What do you think? Um. What do you think? It was triggering, triggering with within you. Um. Look, I could say the basic stuff to you that it was like triggering, triggering the kind of um, rejection and all that. But it wasn't that. It what the main thing was is that I thought, shit, I've really read the I've read the room so bad because I thought it went so well. You know, I often say to you, don't I? I've, I know yeah. when I've nailed one, and you did, and I've nailed one. Here's the thing, you did, right? You are. What's happened is you're, you've you've zoned in on this feedback right, that yeah. you received. But this feedback, you don't know. Like it might have just been the the the, the person coming back to you, saying we, in inverted commas, wanted this. But it might have been them or the leadership team yeah. wanted this because you know what? There's probably a lot of stuff going on yeah. in that organisation that had you go there in the first place. And sometimes a lot of these organisations want a quick fix, Josh. And you're often like the quick fix. So we want these tools and techniques. So should you receive the feedback? Um, to help you kind of uh, like reflect on that session. Yeah, fine. Should you um, use it to kind of make sure that you contract better up front uh, for, for future conversations where they say, where you say like you're going now, go, what do you really want from this session? Yeah. Right. But don't start to misinterpret the energy of the room because actually people like are going through different things on the topic you talk about, right? When, yeah. when people like uh, listen to you, a lot of people are carrying their own stories around mm. uh, abusive parents, um, uh, alcoholic parents, uh, fear, anxiety. So that energy was real. It's just the feedback that you got from that individual has kind of tainted. It's, it's, it's just completely repainted a different version of what you know was yeah, real. So was, yeah, you're probably right. I am right. right. No, I'm right. <laughs> no, I mean that because I can be objective about it. Now, c could you have done, could you have shortened your story? Maybe. But I know you know crowds and you know people and you know yeah. energy virtually. And, and so you would have known straight away if that group wasn't um, uh, like connecting with you and you would have moved. Yeah. But you knew in that moment that that was working. It's just the feedback that you received. I said, oh, we would have preferred it to be that way. But yeah. that we could be could be yeah one person or yeah three and people. i think also if you if you take a little part of the feedback in isolation that said um we we would have uh, liked a bit more of exploring tools to help us in the running of our very unique business a bit of me was like don't book a 90 minute webinar then <laughs> 
No, I don't care who you are. You're right. You cannot, in 90 minutes, help embed and things. Not for something like emotional. Yeah, but to be it? fair to them, they don't know that, right? So yeah. they probably thought, oh, well, this guy, he does all this stuff, you know, and we've heard these things about him and this is what we want. I think the learning from that is, is what do I do with this, right? So yeah. Socrates quote, I might have mentioned this on, the, on this pod before, but um, something along the lines of the secret of change is not on fighting the old, but on creating the new. So, oh, yes, good, isn't it? I don't think you've said that before. Okay. No. So it's really about taking the energy of that feedback and going, okay, what, what, how do I, how do I kind of build better for me and any other experiences going forward? I think the thing about feedback is it can have this lifelong powerful effect, I think, and it can drive you or you can like pay it too much attention. Yeah. I think in the moment when I got that feedback, I paid it a lot of attention as you would uh, appreciate. I wasn't very strong emotionally as a, as, as an adult. And by the way, this guy, you know, Mark, um, he was like 20 years older than me. I looked up to him, even though, yeah. you know what I mean? I looked up to him in, in that he'd done all this stuff. So you, you can't rationalize it, but when you come through it, you realize actually, I'm not gonna pay that much attention. Yeah, yeah, and 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 what I would say about the feedback that I had um, is I'm not paying it any more attention. I have yeah. only brought it back up for the yeah. podcast. Yeah, um, uh, I want to should pay it some attention. <laughs> you should pay it yeah. more attention. <laughs> I want to talk quickly about a story that broke in <coughs> most. Um, we're not going to stay here too long because we haven't got enough time. But a story that broke in most um, mainstream media outlets recently. Um, that basically said it is now, there's no clear evidence to support uh, the fact that depression has anything to do with a chemical imbalance. Now, I do a lot, I know a lot about this and read and read and read a lot about this. Is that something, I know, because I like prepped you and pre-warned you that this was what we was going to talk about. Would you have been surprised by that, by seeing that, that it's not a chemical imbalance? Um, would I have been surprised? Uh, I, okay, so surprise is a, is a word like, like uh, I think I'd have to have had a, like a strong point of view on it beforehand. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But was I surprised when I read it? No, right? So um, uh, I, I think, you, you know, we've talked about how um, a lot of kind of, uh, modern day uh, healthcare practice are just built on, uh, you know, uh, systems thinking processes from the 30s, 40s, led into the 50s, and they're just they've just been incrementally reinforced over time. No one's really challenged it. So um, no, I wasn't surprised. I also it led me to a place of thinking around, uh, you know, you know, we do a lot of work around, you know. Um, oppressive structures and, and they inherently reinforce to protect themselves, which, you know, we talk about the Tory party or, you know, political systems. When they have power, they will reinforce the power to stay in power. So, you know, the healthcare sector, the commercial healthcare sector has no vested interest in this data coming out. Yeah. So I see that that's kind of at play. The other side of it, uh, is that people have come to rely on this uh, way of treatment as a crutch, you know, like this is, it gives them validation. This is what's wrong with me. 
and it's just perpetuated by healthcare professionals. Yeah, look, I think first and foremost that, that, that it's when you find out that it's not a chemical imbalance, if you're somebody who's been taking medication for a long time um, and you've been told you're taking it to balance out a chemical imbalance, right, you are going to feel very, um, uh, I don't know, all over the place, right? It's going to have a real like deregulating impact on you. And I think that's understandable. Um, but I do think when you look at the whole um, mental health conversation, for want of a better term, I, th I hope that people are going to start to see more and more clearly now the conversation around mental health and the way um, in which those in power really like the idea of every single human emotion being medicalized. Right? I've talked a little bit about this before, but um, I don't think people realize that the DSM, which is, it's the, that's the diagnostic book in America that they use as the kind of the holy grail. It's not used over here, but you know, everything is still really born out of the DSM. And the DSM is put together by a group of people and the diagnosis that, that come from the DSM, almost none of them, apart from very serious mental illnesses, uh, like schizophrenia is a, is, a, is a good example, nearly all of these other disorders and things that are in there have no physical markers whatsoever, right? So they're, they're done based on your behavior, right? And how you show up and um, how you are in the world. Yeah. Now, what you start to realize from that is that when there's no physical markers, you're dealing with opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you need a, a concept of what normality is. Yeah. So you need a concept of what normal is, and then you work away from there. Well, of course, I don't think you need to be a rocket scientist to understand that there's a lot of interpretation that can be made here. Homosexuality was in the DSM too. Yeah. It came out of the DSM in 1974. Right. Wow. Right? As late as that. Yeah. Wow. And it so so homosexuality wasn't removed from the DSM because of um a breakthrough in science, right? It wasn't like that science had this breakthrough and realized homosexuality. It was because of social change and social activism and the social perceptions of what normal is. Right? And so when you start to understand that, I think transparency is absolute paramount. And we don't have transparency. Yeah. at any level throughout it. And that's the worry. And, you know, by finding out that it's not a chemical imbalance and to start questioning the use of antidepressants in their current form is not to devalue anybody's distress and it's not to say that they don't work, right? But what it is to say is that anybody that takes any kind of medication that has as serious side effects as something like antidepressants deserves the full truth to make an informed decision. Mm. Um, and so that's what I hope will be seen. And, and I hope that conversation keeps going towards something that is closer to the truth. Yeah, yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's what's surprising is I imagine there's lots of studies that, that happen around this kind of uh, uh, topic. <coughs> what's really interesting is how the global media just jumped on it. Why yeah. do you think that is? I don't know, because it's not a new thing. So so the, the chemical imbalance theory having no support whatsoever. So the the um, president of the last DSM, the most recent DSM, has gone on record as, as a, of himself <coughs> as saying, 
there's no evidence, no scientific evidence whatsoever to support this theory. So it's not new. I don't know why they've picked it up. Um, but, 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 but it's very, very, it's very interesting that they have. Now there are lots and lots of studies. The problem is, is that, and I've said this a million times on this podcast, <coughs> but science is only as good as the capitalist society and systems in which it operates in. And so the problem with any of these, um, with any, uh, uh, ex what's the word we're looking for? Experiment, not experiment, but you know, any kind of, uh, when you're trying to find data, you know what I'm talking about. Research. Any research that's done on this is, you can't just take any research at face value. You need to see who run it, who that who they're supported by, what boards they're sitting on, right? Uh, was it a double blind test? As in like, did anybody within the whole study know anything about the fact that they were in the study? And like, it's a minefield. And so what we say is science, and a lot of people just say, let's trust the science, or I'm gonna trust the people that know a lot more than me. You can't do that anymore because, because of the power structures that we exist in, you can't trust people that appear to know more because <coughs> they're within that power system that you said, where you know they are driven by something that might make them feed a certain type of information over the other. Mm. I, I think it's a fascinating, uh it's a fascinating thing that it's opening up the conversation mm. around, uh, you know, drugs and its use um, in society to kind of just quash feelings yeah. and being more in tune with our intuition and our bodies and, and, and minds, I think is a really healthy, you know, journey to be on. Yeah, exactly. And look, if antidepressants work for people in, in that way, then it's because if, if you're taking medication because you think you've got a chemical imbalance and you're taking it to balance it up, right, then you're going to just blindly take that, right? Because it's like a, a antidepressants are, are not like uh, a, an antibiotic that targets an infection, yeah. which is what you would think if it was a chemical imbalance, right? Mm -hmm. If it's working because it has a slight numbing sensation to it, right? Yeah. And you need that because life is too overwhelming with it, then that's great. You can understand that, take it and think, maybe there is other things that I can work on and work towards. But if you just think it's a, a chemical imbalance, then you're gonna take it like an anti antibiotic. Yeah, right? and there's something around um, medical professionals, and, and recipients of it, right? So people that are taking antidepressants, it just takes a lot of energy to challenge it, right? So if you've been thinking that it's, it, 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 it sorts your imbalance of chemical levels out, are you gonna be the individual that challenges it and then goes through that period where you've got to come off of it and then find something new? It's, it feels overwhelming for an individual. So if that happens en masse, then the system just stays as it is, right? Exactly. And that's why something like this is so important. Mm. Look, just take something com like this is completely um, not the same case, right? But but it just shows how we just we can slip into a bit of a pattern, right? So I used to suffer from hay fever a lot, um, sort of in my teens, like in a sort of almost debilitating way, right? And then I seem to just get over it. And, but I used to take antihistamines all the time. Like I'd wake up, I wouldn't even think about it. I'd yeah. go, I don't want to have that crappy day where I can't think and I'm really foggy. So I'm just gonna pop the antihistamines in, and just keep taking it. And then then my body just adjusted and uh, in maybe in, in, a, in a winter season, I just haven't had it. And then coming into this season when you're, I'm reading all the media about the heat and the UV and the pollen and all that, I started to kind of be a bit more 
like I'd, uh, I'd be sneezing and I'd sort of feel the sniff, uh, sniffles or whatever. And then I just started taking antihistamines again, just like I took mm. one one day because I was feeling a bit and I took more again. And then every morning I'd be like, I'd, I'd have like my uh, my vitamin and I'd pop one and Aaron's like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> and it was just that moment where I'd just gotten into this habit of yeah. like, oh, I better just take these because I don't want to have like, I don't want to get hay fever again or whatever it was. And I realized I hadn't needed it for like 10, 15 years, but I'd kind of gotten into this thing where I thought, oh, well, I'm seeing lorotidine and I need to have this, you know, to stop hay fever getting in because it's a really bad season for it. Mm. And it was just like a moment to say, actually, your body, for me anyway, I'm not saying people don't need it, but for me, I just don't need it. And I've stopped taking it. And guess what? I haven't yeah, been smart, suffering it? with it. Yeah, and y you can fall into it. And then, you know, if you take that other struggle within the mind, yeah. you know, it tangles that mess yeah. up even more. By the way, let me just be really clear. I'm not saying that hay fever tablets are the same as needing antidepressants. I'm just saying yeah, no. it's really easy just to, um, you know, fall into a pattern and not question um, and I think as humans, we do that because like we just want to kind of believe what we're mm. sold. And this is what you've often talked about this, and I'm probably a bit later on the journey. But I think because I've always grown up culturally as respecting kind of professions, I, like my, my MO is to respect doctors, respect dentists, respect lawyers as the as the trusted experts. But you have to. You have to. Um, challenge everything, you know. Yeah. Uh, and challenge doesn't mean be uh, aggressive or fight. It's just challenge what you're reading for your own self. Yeah, yeah. You should feel like you've made an informed decision. Correct. Particularly when it comes to the psychiatric uh, system. And do you know why we don't get... do it, Josh? Sorry to cut over you. It's because it's hard work. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's why people want to read headlines and not read the, the, the full-length article. Yeah. The full-length article takes hard work. Yeah. And And... And and you have to do like you have to do the hard work. Yeah. Good. Very good conversation. We're massively over time, and I'm oh. very conscious of it now. Yeah. It has reasons reasons to be cheerful. Reasons to be cheerful. Um, my reason to be cheerful is uh, I don't really know how to say it, but just to say um, I finally I think I finally cracked the code of what I need for myself over the next few years in terms of personal growth, um, development, health, fitness. I've just uh, I'm somebody who's really, you and I have talked about this a lot, I'm really fascinated by systems. And I see how little systems can work together. Mm. I've never quite made it stick for myself. And uh, for the last few weeks, because of probably some of the stuff I've alluded to earlier around kind of the business and, and, and I just, um, I feel like I've cracked the code for me and things have just fallen into place. So I feel reasons to be cheerful is more about what's coming as opposed to what's here today. But I feel that's what I'm really- Love that. Love that. Excited about. Uh, my reasons to be cheerful is the summer holidays, mate. Uh, we've got so much planned, me and my family, over the, the summer holidays. We're going away. Um, so we're going away quite a lot for weekends. And then I was looking to go away again this weekend, wow. right? Um, and I was chatting with Maya, my six-year-old. And then I was like, oh, let's, we'll just go camping somewhere. We'll go camping somewhere near. She was like, uh, back garden? And then I was like... Yeah, but that's just the back garden. She was like, yeah, but we can get the barbecue out there and put the fire out there. And I was like, yeah. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah, man. so we're going to so camp in the back garden this weekend because yes. um, it's going to be nice weather. Um, and then I was like, all right, we'll do a festival out there. It'd be like our own festival. And then, so my daughter was like, 
And, and I was like, what should we call it? And she's like, best family ever festival. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, all right. So it's the BFE uh, festival oh, this weekend at the Connolly. Where can we get on. tickets, Josh? Uh, <laughs> I'll be making them available. Don't worry. Who's headlining? Who's headlining? Who's <laughs> in the headlining set? Uh, I'll come out oh, that and record amazing. them. Yeah, so yeah, mate, very good. I'm oh, very much lovely. looking forward to it. I've enjoyed this today. Yeah. Um, and good to be in the studio and look forward to the next episode. Ciao. Thanks again for listening to 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Kyle.